Good morning, good morning. I am Holly Worsley. I have the joy on staff of serving in discipleship and community care and getting folks connected here to the church. So if, if I can help you do that, please stop me afterwards or just stop to chat and introduce yourself. Well, I was thinking about the holiday while I was writing this sermon. And one of the things that occurred to me is that this room would be filled this morning with people that had just this joyous Thanksgiving. And this room would be filled this morning with people that were broken and hurting and barely got through Thanksgiving. And sometimes when we look at passages like we're going to look at about the Apostle Paul who wrote a ton of our New Testament, most of it in fact, the Apostle Paul that started churches, the Apostle Paul that was so eloquent and brilliant, we think, well, I have nothing in common with the Apostle Paul. But I think that you'll be surprised. See, the Apostle Paul was just a guy who often felt completely overwhelmed. These are his words, actually. He says to his friends in Corinth, I don't want you to be uninformed brothers and sisters about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under such great pressure far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope. Paul felt overwhelmed just like some of you feel overwhelmed right now and, and he had to fall back on putting his hope again in Jesus Paul felt inadequate the Apostle Paul felt inadequate his words he's writing to his friends he said I came to you in weakness and great fear and trembling so when he walked into what God had for him sometimes he just felt utterly weak and full of fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not of wise and persuasive words of Paul, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. It had to be God for it to change your life. So Paul felt inadequate. Paul felt overwhelmed. Paul failed in relationships. He one time said, John Mark is useless. He'll never do anything in ministry. Send him home, Barnabas. I never want to work with him again. And then when Paul is at the end of his life, in and out of jail, guess who he asked for? Will you get Mark, John Mark, and bring him to me? Because he is helpful to me in ministry. Paul had to learn how to say, I was really wrong. I was really wrong. Forgive me. So if you are here this morning and you feel overwhelmed, if you come out of the holiday and you feel inadequate, you feel broken, you feel lonely, if you come out of the holiday um, saying, man, I was really wrong, I have failed in that relationship, you are actually not alone. You stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Apostle Paul. So see yourself in his story, in this story this morning. Let me pray for us. Father God, your story has always just been continued 
by individual people that were changed in their hearts and their souls by you. And then they just had the courage to live that and share that just in their normal human everyday way. That's always how it has been and always how it will be until you come back. Give us eyes to see that this morning and, and to see our place in that afresh this morning. I pray that you would take your message into the hearts of every single strong and broken-hearted person in this room. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, see, in Acts 17, where we pick up our story today, the big story of God, the big story of who God says he is and who we are and how we're caught up into God's story, Paul didn't come to Athens to preach. He was actually running for his life. See, only days ago, he had been in a town called Thessalonica, which is up north in Greece. And he had done what Paul always did. I mean, his life had been changed by Jesus. And so Paul was a Jew. He grew up in the synagogue. So he went into the synagogue. And he took their scriptures, what would be our Old Testament. And he said, let me show you from your own scriptures how God has been pointing and pointing throughout all of time to a rescuer to a healer, and he begins to show him, and he begins to point it out to him, and he says, that person, that rescuer, that healer has a name, his name is Jesus, he died on a cross, and there's historical evidence, I've seen him, people have seen him, that he was raised from the dead. And just like always happened, some people believed, a little pocket, and some people mocked him. And some people got really, really angry. You know who got angry? The people in power. Because as people start turning to Paul, they're no longer turning to the Jews in power. And so the Jews literally, this is what the scripture says, they go out to the marketplace and it says they found men of bad company. They found men that were like, yeah, well, oh sure, we'll be a part of a mob. We don't mind beating people up. We don't need to know them. You know, we'll just go out there and just smash the guy, kill him. So they create this mob because they're jealous and they want the power, and, and they go back to where they know Paul is staying in order to kill him. But his friends hide him, and he runs. He runs to a town just a little bit south of Thessalonica, Berea, and, and he does the exact same thing there, and the exact same thing happens. A few people believe, and other people get stirred up. This time, the Jews from Thessalonica follow him to Berea, and they're like, we're still going to kill you. And so they sneak him out. And they send him to Athens. Friends, he shows up on the shores of Athens, utterly alone. He's waiting for his friends, but he's utterly alone. And there's two main cities in this ancient, ancient world. There's Athens and there's Rome. He's standing on the shore of Athens, utterly by himself. And he has to be thinking, God, what am I doing here? Athens is the cultural capital of the world. In the middle of Athens is this place called the Agora. It was the marketplace. And, and, and when I say marketplace, you're probably thinking like, you know, farmer's market, right? Like veggies and things like that. No, no, no. We don't have anything like this today. They, it was concert halls and gymnasiums and theaters 
And all the town officials and judges were there deliberating. And there were artists creating. And there were businessmen there making their deals in person. And the media was there. You were face to face getting your news from other people. There were philosophers that were debating and, and thinking about ideas and, and talking them through. There's no stock market. There's no telephone. There are no journals and newspapers. There's no courthouses. Everything happened in this marketplace. It's where you found ideas, where you made deals, where you heard about different philosophies, where you did business, where you saw art, and where you might find faith. Paul walks into this unbelievable thing he's never seen. God, what am I doing here? What else does Paul see? He sees a city full of temples and shrines and statues. These statues were 50 feet tall statues of Athena. And, and her skin was made of marble. And her, her body was made of gold. 50 feet tall on a 10 foot um, platform. He sees statues and, and idols to Athena and Apollo and Jupiter and Venus and Mercury and Bacchus and Neptune and Diana. The city is full of idols cultural center of the world, perhaps the idolatry center of the world. Imagine Paul walking through this. Imagine him thinking, what am I doing here? He's utterly alone, and then he sees it. There's this one altar, this one idol, and this is all it says, to an unknown God. And Paul thinks, that's it. I know the God. I've encountered him. I, I've experienced him. I, I, I've met him in my soul and being. I know the God that is yet unknown to all these people. So he starts again. He sits down with the Athenians and the foreigners, and he starts talking about the scriptures, and he starts listening to their ideas, and he says, I think I know who your unknown God is. I've encountered him. His name is Jesus. He died and resurrected that you might know the creator of the universe. And there were two responses. One was, you are a babbler. You know what babbler is in Athenian? It was slang for, you're an idiot. So they said, you're a freaking idiot, right? You're stealing other people's ideas and you're babbling. We had no idea what you're talking about. But then there were some people just a few, said it was some prominent women, some intelligent Greeks, a few of the Jews. They said, something in my soul and being is responding to this. I think it's true. So what is Paul feeling now? He's seeing God move. These few men, they grab him up. And they take them, you ready? They take them to the center of the city. They take them to the area of Pegas, this, the council of leaders. So now Paul's not just in Athens, the cultural center of the world. He's not just in the middle of all these idols. Now he's being thrust in front of the council of leaders of Athens. You think Paul's thinking now? I'm feeling a little inadequate right now. He looks up. These are the guardians of the religion and the ideas of all of Athens. You think he didn't know what to say? You think you went all intellectual? Nah. 
He went to his story. He went to his experience. He went to his heart. And this is what we've been talking about all year. Paul tells it right now in Acts 17. He just says, friends, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in temples built by human hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. He says to him, there is a creator of the universe. He's a personal creator. He's a personal Lord. He says, rather, he gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked off their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lives. He's not only the creator, he's the sustainer. You live and breathe and are because he's allowing you to do that right now. He's the creator, he's the sustainer. And then he said, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him. He's the ruler. He's the one that's moving that in your heart and soul right now to say, I think this might just be true. And then Paul says, in the past, God overlooked our ignorance, but now he commands everywhere people to repent. He's saying, if you feel that prompting, that thing in your soul, go a different way. Follow this creator. Step into his story. Go a different way. Ask for forgiveness. And then he just ends with this. He has given us proof of this to everyone by raising him, Jesus, from the dead. Friends, he looked at these leaders of this town and said, people saw him raised, hundreds of people. I encountered him. There's historical evidence for us today. Go find it. Go seek it out. That Jesus was raised from the dead. Paul went personal. He just told his story. So that's the story. That's what happened. But I want to go back and look for us. What does that mean? What did Paul see? What did Paul feel? What did Paul do? Because that's what matters for you and me today. Acts 17, 16 said this. While Paul is waiting, he's alone in the town of Athens that I just described to you. He was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. See, this, this word see there is not just observing. I like, oh, I saw these idols hanging around the streets. No, no, no. This is a see, a kind of knowing that God gives you when the Holy Spirit comes onto your life, when you cross that little line of faith, and the God of the Holy Spirit comes into your life, and then you see what you couldn't see before. Everything looks different. And so he saw underneath all that was going on in Athens. He had an insightful understanding. And he looked around him and he saw a city full of lies. A city given over to idols. The word there actually means smothered by them, swamped by them. He saw a city that was full of paganism. And I want you to see if this sounds familiar to you. Everybody in Athens had their own idea of God, their own idea of the order of the universe. I believe a little of this, a little of that, I'm putting it together. It's all good. The only thing that would get you in trouble is if you suggested 
that we don't make up a God. He revealed himself to us. That's the only thing that would get you in trouble. See, here's the sneakiest part. We still are swamped by the idols, friends. We're still overrun with them. We know the bad ones. I mean, we're aware of the bad ones. You know what the sneaky part is? That it's the good things that we make the best things that sneak up on us. It's the good things that we make the best things that sneak up on us as idols. It can be a relationship. It can be success. Your work, that's a good thing. But it's not the best thing. It can be your children. That's a good thing. But it's not the best thing. It doesn't sit on the throne. It can be serving. That's a good thing. But it's not the best thing. It doesn't sit on the throne. And Paul had eyes to see because God gave it to him. Read it again, Acts 17, 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed. That word greatly distressed there is the same word for, in the English language for a medical seizure. Like a grief that is, seizes you, that is all-encompassing, that overwhelms you and causes you to pause and freeze. It's a deep soul grief for the hurt that lay before him. It's the same word that is used when the, the people of Israel had been rescued. They had promised God their allegiance, but they got impatient and selfish and they took back control and they grabbed old habits and they began to worship idols that they had come to be used to worshiping in Egypt. It's the same word that God felt there, the seizing this anger, not unrighteous anger, but this anger, this jealous anger for your heart and my heart. That's the anger, the jealous anger that God has against the idols of this world. He's like, they are mine. They belong to me. I have a jealous anger for them. I do not want them to settle for the partial and the temporary and the empty and the superficial. They were created for more. So what did Paul do? God gave him eyes to see. It broke his heart. God, God gave him eyes to feel the pain all around him. It seized him. It caused him to pause. What did he do? He just opened his mouth and he took a risk to tell his story, right? To share his story, his little piece of encountering God in a story. See, Christianity is deeply personal, but it was never intended to be private. Somewhere along the line, we, we made it, for some people, private, right? It's my little private thing. But it was never intended to be like that. It's tended to be very, very personal, but not private. I want to invite my friend up here to tell his story. This is Jim Thompson. Everybody say, hey, Jim. Hey, Jim. <laughs> hey everybody. Have a seat, buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get that for you. Since you're going to finish the preaching. Oh. <laughs> I'm like the Apostle Paul, I feel weak, fear, and trembling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't believe a word of it. <laughs> now, Jim's done some pretty good stuff in his life. He's got some awesome kids. 
But that's not the best thing. He's got some awesome grandchildren, right? That's <laughs> <Indeed. no. laughs> um, Jim, thanks for being willing to tell your story because it, it, you have lived the story we just talked about. Right. So if you don't mind, share with us how you would have seen God when you were a kid or young. Well, as, as, a, uh, as a young person, I was raised in a loving family. We would occasionally go to church and uh, did very little study of the Bible, and I really didn't quite understand what God was and had no idea about have a, having a relationship with God. Right. So you knew of him, knew of but him. no sense of knowing him personally, or even maybe that you could, that that was even possible. Yeah. Right? So then, fast forward, uh, you're, you go to medical school, you're out of medical school, you're already... Uh, practicing medicine. Practicing medicine. You're about 30. That's right. And a friend sees you and he feels and he reaches out. He does. Tell us what happened. My, um, my, my best friend for now almost 60 years, next year will mark 60 years that we've been friends. We met as freshmen in college. And years after we graduated from medical school, he called me and said he had found something. He wanted to share that with me. Mm. And uh, we were living in California. Carol and I were in California then. We visited him in St. Louis, spent an evening where he had Bibles, tracts, and concordances out on the table, and he talked to me about it. He had a personal relationship with God through Christ. And at the end of the evening, I said, Tom, I'm very happy for you, but I don't understand all this. But he had planted a seed in me, mm -hmm. and uh, we ended up moving to Winston-Salem, North Carolina. So he, he, you're his dear friend. He sees maybe misplaced allegiances in your life. You're intelligent, you're successful, you're a leader, and, and the good things were in danger of becoming the thing. That's right. And he says, come, come over here, and he, just, he, he shares his story, right? He was willing to risk our friendship to share his personal relationship with God. So huge. That's so often why we keep it private, right? Because we think, oh, it's just my, it's just my thing. That's right. Willing to risk his friendship with you. He to was. lay his heart out. When we moved to Winston-Salem, Carol and I saw a notice on a bulletin board said, a Bible study, you're welcome to come visit. <laughs> uh, Random before, flyer. Be, before that seed was planted, we probably would have just ignored that, that notice, but that seed was planted and we ended up going to that Bible study. It was a group of believers. We ended up going to that same church for years. And uh, we developed a personal relationship with God through Christ. And it, was, uh, uh, it changed all of my priorities. I would have had, as, uh, as you said earlier, my, my profession would have been uh, top priority and the family and friends would have been second. I now have the four Fs, faith, family, friends and it's in that order and the last is pro I take some liberty with the profession <laughs> that was cheating <laughs> any good preacher will tell you that <laughs> he saw your heart he risked the friendship he did he planted a seed and allowed you to say that's great for you right? didn't make you feel guilty didn't try to hammer it into you right. just let you be on the journey but it caused your eye to catch something you would have missed before. You took a step, and then is it right that what really turned your heart 
for you and Carol was seeing the authenticity in the people that you That's right. did life with. The, the body of believers was there and we saw what led to a change in our hearts and our lives by, by how they lived and, and what they believed. Hmm. You guys have a picture of Jim's family? You throw it up there? Uh oh. Oh my goodness. So that's the best thing you've done. <laughs> but the reason I want to throw that up there is um, every single one of those people, those precious people, were affected because your friend took Absolutely. that Absolutely. Absolutely. The entire trajectory of your family, all those people, and now their families, that's right. utterly different. Thank you, brother. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate you so much. So we'll close with this, my friends. This is what we're not being invited to with Christianity. We're not being invited to let God be one of the pieces. That's not his invitation. I mean, we can do that. You have the choice. That's not the invitation. Here's the invitation. Let him change the way you see everything. The way you interact in culture, the way you do family, the way you care for friends, the way you spend your leisure time, the way you work. Let him permeate the way you do everything. That is the invitation. So I'll leave us all with this. Where is your marketplace right now? Might be Davidson College. Might be your neighborhood, might be a playground with your little kids, might be work, might be a high school. Where is, your, where is God intentionally placed you? Would you have the faith to believe that it's not by accident that you were placed and called where you are? Would you feel inadequate in all the things as you walk in the marketplace, but would you ask God to give you eyes to see where are the lies around me? Where are people under the burdens of lies around me? And would you ask God to literally distress you, to break your heart for those people, to break your heart for the burdens and the lies that, that people live under in this world? And then, like the Apostle Paul that felt inadequate and beat down and exhausted, and just wanted to finish the race well, God give me just a little bit more strength to finish the race well. And like Jim's and Carol's friend, would you just tell your story when God gives the opportunity? Just in your own words, in your own way. Let me pray for us. Father God, none of us feels adequate None of us feels particularly courageous. And all of us succumb to the lies of this culture. I mean, they're so pervasive. Lord, would you give us eyes to clearly see them again and call them for what they are? They're good things maybe, but they're not the best thing. And help us to reorder our lives and reprioritize our lives and double down again, Father, because generations of people are waiting for us to just have a tiny bit of courage rooted in you doesn't have to be the right words because it doesn't matter what words you're changing hearts 
Lord, help us to see, help us to feel, help us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.